We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And Christmas is the NBA's holiday over the years, right? It's a holiday where there's like, you know, five games back to back. And as a fan, that's always been one of my favorite basketball days, right? Is you put the TV on and whomever you're with, you know, that's on in the background and, you know, you're stealing glances of the other games and then uh, everyone you can get cheering for the Laker game. And Mike, you've worked, gosh, how many Christmas games have you worked at this point? I guess everyone since uh, 2008. Yeah. Yeah. And the Lakers play pretty much every year. Yeah. No, definitely. Every every year for sure. I mean, I guess pend- barring the there was one lockout year or no, that 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 started up before Christmas, didn't it? Yeah. Just before Christmas. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so there was a game then. And then just the pandemic one where. Oh, no, because they no, Yeah, that no, was, we played, played, we played Dallas that year. Yeah. Of Dallas, yeah. who were yeah. playing so every, on Christmas so this year, too. Yeah. Every Christmas. There you go. What does your routine look like on that, Mike? That's got to be tough with family and you got little ones now. Uh, how do you how do you do Christmas these days? Well, it was it's always been mitigated some because the Lakers have been home for basically every single one um, since the boys were born in 2014. There was the exception when Powell went to Chicago and there was that one matchup where it was on the road in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then there was one other there was one other road game. And so this year that this is now goes back to that and it becomes a little more complicated in terms of Christmas. But let me let me skip past that for a second, because my first Christmas game was Lakers Celtics in 2008. Yeah. And I'm sure you remember that game. So I, I've said before that when I got the job, it was October of 2008. So it was it was just a couple months after the Lakers had lost to the Celtics in the finals uh, in the 08 finals. And as at that point, I was working for the Timberwolves, but I was obsessed with the league. And I was, you know, just like now I was watching the pass every night and I thought the Lakers were the best team. And I thought that they would get Ariza and Bynum back. And that was kind of where they missed some of that physicality, uh, both inside and then on the wing. And that series, despite the last game not being close, was closer than people remember. 
Uh, and I always think that you get, because you had seen it in NBA history, you you just get that edge coming back the year after. And, and so I was, mm-hmm. and then the second that I got to Los Angeles, just looking at Kobe's face and the seriousness, which with, uh, with which he was approaching that year. And my guess is that Kobe always had a certain level of seriousness to him, that he's a serious basketball player, a serious person and a winner. But there was something in, in just talking to some of the people that had covered the team, there was something a little different feeling there. And so that team starts out seven and zero, and then 14 and one and 21 and three. And as Christmas is approaching, they are 23 and five Boston though, Pete entered that game on, I believe a 17 game or an 18 game winning streak. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, ni- sorry, 19 games. 19. Um, let me fact check that. So they were just cruising. Um, and this was the, this was the, Talk about the heavyweight matchup of all possible. Like the Lakers Celtics had met in the finals. They're both kicking ass. And now it's the NBA's showcase game. Right? Yeah. The Celtics are 27 and two versus 23 and five. If I remember correctly, that was one of the best, like highest winning percentage matchups in NBA history between two teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with, and with all of the requisite talent, right? These weren't fake good teams. I mean, this was KG Pierce, Rondo Allen with Perkins starting in the middle. And, you know, big baby off the bench with Leon Poe and Eddie House and Tony Allen. And that was it. That was a nine man rotation. The starters all played big minutes. And then for the Lakers, you had, of course, you had Powell, Kobe, Bynum, Fisher. Uh, Luke was starting at that point of the season. And Ariza was still coming off the bench uh, with Lamar and Sasha. And then I think Vlad Rad played one minute, you know, at, at some point in that game. But that was it. It was like, so eight man rotation for Phil nine-man rotation for Doc, and the Lakers kind of kicked their ass. You know, it, 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 at least in terms of, like, it was a it was a good game. Um, Boston was up one after the first quarter. Lakers stormed back and outscored them by seven in the second, and then they never relinquished the lead. From that point on, they ended up winning 92-83, to 83, a slugfest that would really preview what the finals would be the next year uh, when those teams actually met. But, you know, I just think – I just remember being in that building and – it was the most intense sporting event that I had been at, you know, mm. where I was like paying that close of, of attention. There, there wasn't a Minnesota Timberwolves game the previous couple of years. Like there were some fun ones right there. KG was an intense player, of course, uh, when he played for the Timberwolves, which is my first year. But I, I just remember watching that game. And for me, coming in a little bit, you know, perhaps – from afar being able to just think about it. Oh yeah. I think the Lakers are better, but I, I imagine that Laker fans, and I know this from the people that were on the plane, you know, and, and just people that had followed the team closely, they needed to beat Boston there, you know, to feel like they, they had, that they were on the course that, um, that they expected to be on. And I imagine for you as a Laker fan, I imagine some nerves in that game. You know, I imagine that that was a, uh, there was a lot built up into that as you watched with your family. Oh, 100%, man. That was something that, you know, coming off of the 2008 series, I didn't have expectations of us winning that series. It's that, that season's right up there with my favorite non-title teams because remember that was the year that started where Kobe was like, you know, trade me to Pluto. I'll, I'll go anywhere, ship his ass out with Andrew Bynum and all of that. And 
ended up in the NBA Finals against the Celtics team that that was probably the first team of the super team era, that 2008 team. And then, yeah, by the time we get to the finals, Ariza came back mid-series there, but he's very much hobbled. Bynum had been out. And so it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you hate losing in the finals and you really hate losing to Boston, but I didn't have that level of expectation. But I think that chip that you were talking about uh, going into that next season and then that matchup in particular against a team on a 19 game winning streak, that's 27 and two. That's a crazy record. And the Lakers really taking it to them. I think that that's one of those things that not all games are the same on the NBA schedule, Mike, that, you know, and that Christmas day, those Christmas day games, I think have a little bit of an extra edge to them. And then when it has that, storyline behind it. Yeah, it's just super like one of those statement games throughout a, a, a season. And that's one of my favorite, you know, Christmas game memories. Are there other Christmas games that stand out to you? Well, just the last thought on that one. And then I, I want to get to the next year because um, mm-hmm. LeBron came in and kind of kicked the Lakers ass the next year um, a little bit un, unexpectedly. But it was just a it was a, a, a setting the course for what was going to happen. And of course, Boston ends up not being able to live up to their end of the bargain. Uh, and they lose to uh, eventually they lose to Orlando and then Orlando gets to the finals. Did they did they lose to Orlando or Cleveland? Yeah, they lost to Orlando. Uh, yeah, they lost to Orlando in seven in 2009 in 2000. Yeah, in 2009. So they and this lost is to without KG. They, mm-hmm. without, yeah, yeah. Uh, KG gets hurt and, and then they they go on a course and come back the next year. And that was the biggest thing. Right. So without KG, it kind of changed the team. But so. That was a good entryway, though, Pete, like being at that game to understand Lakers Celtics and to feel what the building felt like and just mm-hmm. to see how because it, it just was up a level. And that that whole season was great. The start of the season was great. Laker fans were ready um, to go from the start. But there's nothing like beating Boston's ass on Christmas and avenging the year before and kind of announcing this is this is our year. Um, and that was kind of what that building felt like. So that was pretty cool. Now, the next year. It's Cleveland against the Lakers. The Lakers come in 23 and five, just still flying off of their championship over Orlando. And Cleveland comes in 23 and eight. Uh, and, you know, this is LeBron really starting to to pick things up. And I don't know if for whatever reason, I remember Mo Williams uh, going off in that game. And I just checked the box score. And yeah, so he, Mo Williams had 28 points on eight of 13 shooting three for three from three. Made nine of ten free throws and in Cleveland wins 102-87. The Lakers played all their guys. Like Kobe played 45 minutes. Uh, he had 35, 10, and 8. And they it just was kind of like LeBron didn't have the best game from an efficiency standpoint. He was nine for 19. But I remember him being pretty great on defense. Uh he I think he also had seven turnovers. So that was a that was the one of the rare Christmas games where you kind of get in there and it's all built up and the Lakers are home and you know expecting to win and coasting and it's going to be Kobe versus LeBron and and maybe that's a preview right of what's to come in the finals and and of course instead Cleveland ends up losing in that postseason and Boston ends up getting back but it just it it just was a that time right was it was Lakers Celtics but then here comes LeBron but we never got to see LeBron and Kobe. Uh, when it matters, that amazing? Which, which I'll always be a little disappointed about. Yeah. Between 2007 and I want to say 2018, one of them made the finals in every single year, but they never played each other. That's one of the more yeah. remarkable, you know, stats of, of all time. So I got to be honest with you, Mike, I probably because of the result, I completely blacked out that game out of my memory. I have no recollection of Kobe going 11 for 33 and losing to LeBron <laughs> and the Cavs by 15 on Christmas. That's one of the, you know, those games where you, you know, stuck up on the eggnog and, you know, forget your worries. Yeah. No, understand, understandably. Well, they, 
I, I just think the idea uh, was that so the NBA, of course, right at this at this time, is trying to make sure to put all of the like the marquees and Lakers Celtics having having not happened the previous year in the finals, like they still could have gone back to Lakers Celtics, but instead they said, no, let's like, let's get Kobe and LeBron, you know, yep. because I think that was the one, that was one of the matchups that, that just hadn't happened. Um, and they really like the league wanted to see, I think we all wanted to see it um, to some extent. And it, it just kind of didn't go down like that um, for, for, you know, various different reasons. But um, it's, I think like when you ask LeBron about it too, he, uh, there's the one part of it where he he loves Kobe so much and he didn't have to face him in that kind of a context. But I think the competitor and the competitor edge would have liked to oh, have yeah. seen it. Um, and and so we we all missed out a little bit by not actually just getting the Kobe versus LeBron. Oh, very much so. But I appreciate how the NBA has they've always kind of emphasized those types of matchups, right? Like the player versus player. Uh, and even this year, Mike, we got LeBron versus Luca, and it's sort of a continuation of that, uh, that idea on Christmas. A lot of times you get the mano a mano type of matchup. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's shift our focus to the ghost of Christmas present and preview this weekend of games for the Lakers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 
All right, so in the the present day, Mike, we got a couple of games this weekend against first against the Charlotte Hornets, who are probably a little better than their record uh, indicates, at least in terms of their roster for tonight's game. And then uh, Sunday on Christmas against the Dallas Mavericks in Dallas. Now, with Charlotte, Mike, they just got LaMelo back. They just got Gordon Hayward back. um, And so they have a little bit more uh, in terms of their roster availability. Meanwhile, the Lakers are at kind of their their lowest point in that respect, right? With AD being out, with Austin and Russ missing the last couple of games. Do we have any updates or anything on that front on uh, Austin or Russ or anything like that? Well, just essentially upgrades. So Russ probable and Austin questionable from where they were at. And you know, I, I talked to Austin a little bit as we were getting off the plane. And, you know, it, it's always going to end up being this combination decision of the training staff and of him. But of course he said the ankle does feel better. You know, like he, it's one of those things, if it were game seven of the finals, he could have pushed through probably. And mm-hmm. just like he did in the home game. So I'm, I'm hopeful that Austin will be able to get out there. And then it, yeah, it does sound like Russ is going to play. So we're back in that place of everybody except for AD and then, you know, Toscano Anderson continues to be out. So what does that look like to you, Mike, in terms of tonight's matchup against a Charlotte team that has more of their guys? You know, Pete, I was listening to the podcast with you and Darius and lamenting right along with you at the lack of health uh, that has been going on in the frustration point that that builds towards. It's just been the reality of the last three years. And there, there's there been plenty of other stuff going on, but that has been one of the baselines. Mm-hmm. And in any team, in any sport, as, as we always talk about sports being a metaphor for life, when you're going into something without a full deck of cards, it's uh, it, it makes for you're in this weird place where as a competitor, uh, you you try not to allow any excuses and all all they all basically say the same thing, right? Next man up, you know, no excuses. The other team doesn't care. But of course, just losing one star on any team in this sport. Or in the NFL, it would it would be a quarterback. That's it's one of the few equivalents. Like if you lo- if you don't have your quarterback, your backup could win you a game, but mm-hmm. you're in trouble. And that's that yeah. backup is awesome. And there's or no Brock NBA. Purdy, for example. If your back- yeah, backup's right. Brock Purdy, yeah, you might be in good fan. shape. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I would actually probably rather have him than Kirk Cousins. And I know that the Vikings are eleven and three. Oof. Oh man, that's an aside. So it's a <laughs> it's a weird thing where the NBA though, Pete, like guys are not really coming in. Un- uncovered and raw and like there isn't going to be somebody that comes up the bench that we don't know about in yeah. the NBA you know what I mean it's yeah there's no be- equivalent to a backup quarterback that's like no oh yeah. Brock, Brock Purdy out of nowhere yeah there's nothing yeah, like that because in the NBA. if you can play like you're playing in preseason yeah. it, it's off the bench but like you're playing and we've seen what you can do and there's there's there are too many smart basketball people now to just let somebody that's awesome not be on the radar like Who's the best basketball player in the world right now that's not in the NBA? It's probably one of the guys that was briefly in the NBA that went back to Europe and played. Yep. Or or it's like, you know, Victor Wenbanyama, which right. everybody Who's knows about Who's going to be now. in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to be. And, and, it's, and by the way, that's probably not the answer. It's probably some, you know, like 27-year-old Lithuanian player that, that, spent a, that had a cup of coffee in the NBA. So it's just a um, – there aren't that many uncharted waters at this point. So – Bringing that back to this game against Charlotte, though. So Charlotte is not a good team. We know that by the record. They're 8-24. and 24, But they've been playing almost the entire season without their best player, um, and that's LaMelo Ball, and most of the season without Gordon Hayward, who's probably their second best player. And when they're both there, then that slots Kelly Oubre Jr., who is has not, you know, was not great in certain roles with Golden State, but can get you 30 on a given night. He just had 31 to help beat Sacramento 
the other mm-hmm. night. He's big. He's athletic. He's long. Um, that gives the Lakers problems. Then they've got Terry Rozier, right? So as a, a number, maybe he's the three and Oubre is the four, but then Mason Plumlee, who's a serviceable center. So like they've got some decent players and they're not, they're not nearly as bad as what they have been when they haven't had any of their team. And so they just got their ass kicked by the Clippers um, in, in a little bit of a, like they felt great off their one win against Sacramento and then kind of went back to playing like the mm-hmm. Hornets. Um, but I expect them to be, to play pretty well. And the difference between, I guess, how I would look at, say, the game at Phoenix or the game at Sacramento, where Lakers are shorthanded, and it's just, there's just not enough there. There's not enough there unless the other team kind of gets caught slipping. And as we've talked about over the years, teams don't get caught slipping against the Lakers very often. They just don't. They, it's a, it's like a Pavlov's dog. Oh, gold jersey, Lakers, you know, Lakers. It's like, it's like it, even when the Lakers sucked at their and when they were rebuilding and trying to when they're never trying to get. But, you know, looking at lottery odds at various points, teams didn't, didn't just be like, oh, Lakers are in town. Great. Yeah, you guys go ahead and, and just get up by 10. Doesn't happen. One of my theories about the Lakers in terms of like how to explain what the Lakers are is that we're very much a stage sort of like Carnegie Hall or a big concert venue or something like that where it's like, oh, we're we're playing the Lakers tonight. In some ways, Mike, it has nothing to do with the actual team that you're playing across. It's that if you ball out against the Lakers, it's never going to be a secret, right? It's just somewhere that there are more eyes here. And so that that brings out uh, the best and sometimes the worst in in. In people. And so I've always liked that though, in, in a lot of ways, Mike, in that there's an iron sharp, sharpens iron and that like yeah, getting everybody's sure. best shot from a game to game basis really makes you a better team, I think. And so when I look at the Hornets in particular and with us being down AD, now, if we have Russ and Austin back tonight, I think we have enough to, to compete in the games that we don't have enough if it, those types of guys are out as we were lamenting in yesterday's pod. And the place I look at in this game, Mike, is the big man spot. This is a game where Thomas Bryant and Wenyan Gabriel, to a lesser extent, have a chance to really produce. Charlotte surrenders just crazy stat lines to opposing bigs. You had uh, Jokic the other day had like 41, 27, and 10 or something crazy like that. Sabonis had a monster game as well. And the guys that they have problems with are like the big physical type of bigs, right? Because Plumlee, Plumlee's a, a good player, but he's not like, he's got decent strength, but there's not a lot of that strength everywhere else. And so I really think that the Lakers bigs have the opportunity to eat in the interior against a team in Charlotte that Steve Clifford had a hilarious rant against them post game not too long ago where he was like, look, like this ain't going to work. If you play defense like that, like it's just never going to work. And so we'll we'll see how it goes. But that's where I where my head goes, Mike, is that TB and Wenyan have a good shot tonight to, to really produce. Yeah. The other thing that I was going to the distinction between the last two games on the road when you have some guys out and the other teams are in Phoenix and Sacramento and the level to which that they don't like the Lakers and the level to which that they're going to be locked in Mm. is just difficult to surmount unless you have the horses. But at home, that changes because that's where the fans come in and that's where the belief is just a little bit stronger in the role players or from the role players, kind of on both ways there. And that's also to me where we've seen LeBron kind of catch that wind a few times and, and just mm-hmm. with LeBron's level of pride and like, I'm out on the court. I get the teammates aren't necessarily up to what it should be. Um, most again, 
somewhat because of injuries, somewhat because of the roster. So what are, gonna, what are you going to do about it? And LeBron is often able to rise to the occasion in that sense. And so I think that's that's just more of a, a global look at how that kind of a game could go. In terms of more specific speed, let's zero in on Dennis Schroeder for a little bit. So yeah. Schroeder has been able to lift his production and lift his usage in the last couple of games. And, and even if, you know, if Westbrook plays and the freeze plays, then it'll kind of go back to him not having to do as much in that context. But it's just a he's an interesting player at this point for me um, in, in terms of what he's able to do and what he's expected to do. And the one thing that he has done, though, is that he started to hit the three. So three for mm-hmm. six, two for six, two for two, two for four. Those are his last four games. Uh, and overall from the field, he's 45 percent for the month. And that was after starting a little bit slow. Where are you at with Schroeder, um, his production, kind of what what can be expected from him and, you know, how much of a how much Schroeder can be out there for a team that's that's going to be expected to be at a, at a certain level? Yeah, Schroeder is a guy that I think the slotting idea that Darius always talks about, I think, is is really important. And he's had. Uh, an unexpected journey, at least for me so far this season, in that, you know, he missed the first part of the year with a thumb injury. But then for most of the season, he's been this kind of D and three guard, this like fairly low usage guard who I think has been our best guard defender and has been helpful, but in a different way than he's ever been before. He's always been the guy that's led units. And as you said, a, a couple pods ago, he took, you know, 17 shots a game one year in Atlanta. And that's the kind of guy that like a whole unit or entire parts of the game revolve around offensively. And we've seen that the last couple of games, although he's been in foul trouble, which is kind of Uh, hurt that. And you've seen his usage go up in ways, Mike, where he's like, oh, I'm comfortable with this, but he's not quite good enough at it to be like, to be a guy that you build that around for the roster going forward. So one of the things that I really like about having LeBron and Russ around him is that he becomes more of the second side action guy, not necessarily the guy that is the main part of the play, but the ball gets swung to him and then he can knock down that three or he can run into a ball screen or, you know, he can do a few things and score off of that and still be capable of being the main guy on a play, but he, he just slots a lot better when he's when he's not. And so I'm I, I think that he can boost his his usage up a little bit in the absence of Anthony Davis, but I think that he's got holes in his game as a passer in particular. Like Darius always describes him as kind of a get your own type of guy. And that's been the case over these last uh couple of games. And that's not something that like We've needed it. You know, we, we've been much better when he's been on the floor offensively in particular. Uh, but you see that like he's not a guy that that really is going to have, you know, eight, ten assist nights on a on a regular basis. He's a guy that's rejecting screens, has that had as a, a beautiful floater, is able to score in kind of all these clever ways around the rim, but isn't a guy that really sets up others. And so that's one of the reasons why having LeBron and Russ in their positions in Austin as well then he can be more of that like score uh, and and then has provided really good ball pressure on the other end as well. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of where it's at, right. With this team. So now a couple of reinforcements come back and Austin, hopefully, you know, if, if not, then, then there we're right back into a different level of discussion and Westbrook and where are you at with Westbrook? Because there have been, there have been these two games now without him. And I know that generally speaking, you even said this on yesterday's pod, you tend to be a little higher than probably the collective narrative um, on on Russ. And where have you seen sort of what he does 
what he does well missed mm-hmm. and then where and then where have you seen sort of the stuff that he doesn't do as well like how can that be can that be made up for um if for example they had like dennis and austin as opposed to just dennis like what where's your what's your rust meter at right now it's a super interesting question and i think that the place that all of those roads lead to is the main thing that we've missed about Russ is his physicality. Um, And so on this team that's small, that has so many guards, his second wave rebounding or his ability to, that's the funny thing too, is like he'll crash as a sandwich rebounder sometimes, but a lot of times he's just underneath the basket and he's jumping with these big guys and can pull down a few of those. And that's one of the things that we were talking a little bit yesterday about like Lonnie's defense and just sort of a collective like, lack of belief is that in a lot of ways, defensively, we have to, we're playing like lesser evil type of defense, right? Like we're going to give up an open or open a shot. It's a matter of what kind of shot is it and to whom. And so when you do that and you do that well, that's great, but you don't get the defensive rebound and the other team's cleaning up, getting eight, nine offensive rebounds in a half. It's like, hey, we can work hard and do everything right the way that we're supposed to, and they're still going to score. And then shoulders start to slump, body language drops, and all of that. And so that help on the defensive glass in particular is really necessary on a team that is lacking a level of physicality without Anthony Davis, that it's really going to need to be a group effort, and we need our guards in in that respect. Um, In terms of the things that he doesn't do as well, particularly on the offensive end and spacing the floor, it's more of like the... It's more of the overall effect, the ripple effect of having him on the court and the we can guard him with the center type of thing. That's where the guards that he's helping with his physicality and presence around the rim, helping clean up the defensive glass and finish up finished possessions where they can help him, right? Like Austin in particular has a level of skill that's really important on a team that's built around putting pressure around the rim. It's the complement to that where when you're without it defensively, you're like, oh, well, we got all these guys that like to attack the hoop that don't shoot as well. Well, it's obvious what we're going to do on the defensive end. And so Austin kind of counter counters that. Dennis does that to a, a certain extent. So that's where, where I go, Mike, is that idea of like Russ brings a level of physicality where he's almost one of the forwards on this team, especially defensively. And without him, we're just so lacking in that respect that we, we really miss him. So after the game in Sacramento, just doing the Spectrum interviews and, we, you know, some the players will go into the press conference room and other ones all go around the locker room. And that's a little different on the road because at home, sometimes Spectrum will send a second person down. Like sometimes it's Allie Clifton. Sometimes it's Mike Bresnahan. But in this case, I basically have to talk to five or six guys. And talking to Lonnie Walker, who, if you look at the stats, it's like, oh, well, take out the plus minus, right? Which is bad, which is sure. minus 15. Um, but 19 points, six of 13 from the field. He hit three threes, got the free throw line, you know, five rebounds, a couple steals, a block. You're like, okay, that's not a bad game, but he was, he struggled on defense. And this was something that I know Darius was zeroed in on uh, from the, the group chat. And then I asked him about the defense and he just was, he said, yeah, it was bad. Like, it's not good enough for me. I don't know what was going on. You know, I have to be better. And that's always a tough one from a reporting standpoint, because you, you I did follow up. You can follow up and kind of say how, but when the defense is like that, it's just some of it, Pete, is just focus and, and energy. And it's hard for someone right after to sort of say why that wasn't there. You know what I mean? Yep. But it wasn't. And and that's 
with all of the with Anthony Davis especially being out and then just not having a couple of other players like that on the roster, uh, the Lakers can't afford that. You know, so it's I, I wondered I, I wondered what you thought there, and not to just single Lonnie out. There were some there were other players that weren't locked in, and frankly, just talking about Russ, that that is a problem certain times with him um, mm-hmm. on that end, and it's just like the mar- it's it's back to that margin for error thing. Um, where you just can't afford to not have everybody locked in, especially considering the other team in a place like Sacramento, in a place like Phoenix, is or, or are going to be locked in in that context. Yeah, we're in a dangerous place right now uh, simply because of that, right? If there is... If, if players lose belief, then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That idea that we're not good enough to win. Is, and it's not a conscious thing, right? Like Lonnie's not on the court and going like, ah, not going to play any defense tonight. You know, that's not something that he's making a conscious decision on. Um, it's also It also speaks to, though, Mike, that the season is a marathon. And I think that Lonnie came into the season with a great mentality that he expressed in the press conference when he was introduced and then in his play to start out the season. And we were really delighted, like, oh, he's backing up his talk in terms of, uh, you know, playing playing defense, getting the most that he can out of himself. It's very different in mile 12 of the marathon than mile 26, though, right? And and so I think that one of the things that you can revert back to is kind of your natural state. And particularly if, if you if there's a certain lack of belief in that it doesn't matter if I do everything right, because we're not going to get the stop. Most likely we're not going to stop them from scoring. Um, That's something that I'm actually very concerned, Mike. That's one of the things I'm concerned about with this team is that if like, if we're going, if we're going to win and make up for the absence of Anthony Davis, because we're at such a deficit behind him in the front court, it is that all hands on deck type of situation. So maintaining that belief and that it's everybody's job to really commit to this part of the season. Like, I don't know, I think we're in a danger zone right now. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And I, I felt that just being on the team playing, you know, just being on that last little two game trip, because when AD goes out and we still at this point still don't have the the report as to what that's going to be and what, what it's going to turn into that, you know, they're, I think the Lakers are able to kind of paper over it for the two home games, right. Um, kind of rally around the flag. AD goes out against Denver. You don't know exactly what it is. Everybody still plays to a certain level. Um, and then even the next game against Washington who had been struggling and it's still at home, but then you get out on the road and, you know, AD who was actually on the flight, he's there, but it just starts to sink in that he's not playing. And, mm. That is, I I do think that's part of what a, a player like Lonnie looks out there and is just like, man, this sucks, you know. Uh huh. And but the fact that he acknowledged it and he did so verbally and he did so before having to be asked about it. I mean, I asked him about the team defense, uh, and he went to himself. That's good. Not every player does that. Uh, you know, other players mm-hmm. just aren't willing to. Either they're not willing to accept or they're not willing to share um, that that level of responsibility so maybe for this next game against Charlotte at home I do think that these guys and and Lonnie can be one of them he's going to be starting Mm -hmm. can pick up that energy and can sort of and once it's out there to start a game then I think it's easy for the rest of the team to follow it now once the team hits that next this this road trip Pete that's another discussion we can save that for a next podcast that Mm. is definitely worry time uh, yep. That it, to me is going to be a very difficult stretch, even though the teams are playing aren't necessarily playing great. Um, a well, Orlando is actually playing great. Suddenly, uh, their record is not great, but mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so let's save that part of it. But for the, for one game against Charlotte, when acknowledging the defense and the intensity and all that wasn't enough, getting some reinforcements, even against a team that's playing a little better, um, that's, that is where you have to segment that into the one game at a time uh, and and sort of demand that level of energy and, and effort from everybody that's playing. Very much so. We got to win this game tonight against uh, against Charlotte, in part because of that upcoming road trip and just all of the games that are gettable. We we need to get them. Um, and so, but yeah, they got their reinforcements coming. It's going to be a, a tough game. Every night without AD is going to be tough. So, all right. Sorry to uh, <laughs> end the week with a couple of sort of uh, down pods, but. Um, Big weekend for this Lakers team. This is very much a moment of truth for the squad. Thank you to our wonderful producer, Jeannie, for her 500th episode editing and producing the pod. And I hope everyone uh, who celebrates Christmas has a very Merry Christmas and meaningful time with your family, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. And we'll be back on Monday to see how the weekend went. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is lining. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.